This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We're still kind of, I guess you could say, in touch with the land. But I know there's a lot of people, like if you, especially if you head back east, where they they have no clue, they have no understanding of how the farming industry works or the ranching industry or anything like that. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. This is episode 42 and our guest today is Nate from the podcast, Everyone Has a Story. And also, he is related to ag, so don't worry. He is a potato quality assurance representative in Idaho, home of a lot of potatoes here in the U.S. So it's a really cool talk we're going to have, what kind of got him started in the industry, what he does, different varieties of potatoes that they grow, and the different classes as well as what kind of got him started to make the podcast Everyone Has a Story and how it's all about everyone, no matter where we are, who we're, where we're from, everyone has a very unique story to share. So it's a really cool talk we're going to have. And also, fun fact, uh, this is episode 42. If you've ever seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you might remember a little bit where it's like, oh, the answer to life is 42. Well, funny story is that back in the early days of coding, there was some algorithm where the answer was 42. And basically it meant, the algorithm meant that the answer was whatever you want it to be. So fun fact behind 42. Um, I don't really know if that relates to anything in this podcast, but anyway, cool fact of the day. So hope you enjoy today's podcast with Nate. It's a really cool conversation. Check out his podcast. It's Everyone Has a Story. We'll link it down below and on our um, website. So anyway, hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, Nate of Everybody Has a Story, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? Doing great, man. So we are fellow podcasters. You've got a cool job by day and you're a podcaster by night. We're going to dive into both of those. So before we get started, though, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up, kind of your whole little life story in a nutshell. 
Okay. Well, I, uh, I I wasn't born here in the state of Idaho, but uh, I moved here when I was very, very young. So I guess I'm kind of a native. Um, I mean, Idaho is pretty much all I've known. So spent, uh, I'm about 45 years old now and spent the majority of my life living here in the great state of Idaho. Well, there you go. Are you a Boise State fan by chance? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm a, my dad and I are really big college football fans. And so I remember, I think it was in like middle school, Boise State came out with the blue field and we just thought that was the coolest thing yeah, ever. Yeah. And I know all these schools are like trying to copy them with the red fields or the yellow fields, but the blue field is the best. It looks super cool. It does. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And I've been a, a Boise State fan for probably, oh, probably going on 20 years now, even back when they were still in the Big Sky Conference, which is like uh, FCS football. It's not even Division One, um, But uh, they've, they've been pretty good. And you know, when you're in Idaho, there's really not, much else to root for as far as sports is concerned. So yeah, we got to cling on to what we have. Well, there you go. That's awesome. So, so tell us a little bit about your day job. You told me you work in the potato industry. So tell me exactly what you do on a daily basis and what that job is like. Okay, sure. Yeah, I work, uh, I work for a marketing arm uh, of, for a lot of um, potato warehouses here in the state. And so the, our company specifically, we do, um, we're the largest um, distributor of potatoes and onions in the country. We have, um, I think roughly something like 17 or 18% of the market share, which is pretty big. Um, and so we, we deal with millions and millions of dollars worth of uh, potatoes every, every year. And so, um, so yeah, so the biggest job is the company that we, like I said, we have is we, we market them. So the potatoes, the farmers will bring them into the warehouse and, and then we, we get a hold of the customers, whether it be Walmart or, or Albertsons or any, you know, any uh, grocery store throughout the country. And we, we try to sell them to them. But my job specifically is I go to the warehouses um, throughout the state and actually around the country and uh, make sure that the, the fresh potatoes that are going into the bags that we sell at the store are high quality potatoes. Um, so we, we make our, our specific brand name is green giant. Uh, I'm sure probably most of your listeners have heard of green giant throughout the years. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we sell. And so I make sure that those, those potatoes are good, uh, quality and there's lots of other stuff I do in the summer and whatnot, but that's actually the, the major portion of my job. Okay. Really neat. Yeah. I definitely heard of green giant before a super popular brand. Um, yeah. So when you're going through, like, what are some things you're looking for on the potatoes to see if they're, if they're bad? I mean, are you looking for blemishes or sprouts? What are some things you're looking for? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the USDA has a certain guidelines that they go by that will tell you whether or not potatoes are divided into three different categories. There's a U.S. number one potato, there's a U.S. number two potato, and then there's what they call process grade potatoes. And so in U.S. number one is which if you walked into a Walmart or somewhere like that and you went to the grocery section and you found a bag of potatoes, those are generally going to be U.S. number one potatoes. So they're basically the best of the best. And so when we look at those potatoes, um, we're looking at, I mean, it, honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a show that your potatoes actually make it to your table because there's so many different things that can go wrong with the potato. But we look for things like bruises, um, whether that be something that happened at harvest or something that happened in the warehouse. We look for things called uh, pressure brews, um, lenisols, which are the little spots that you see on your potato. They can get infected and blow up and turn into uh, gross, nasty what they call soft rot, um, just all kinds of different things like the internal products, uh, your russet potatoes, so like your Burbanks, you know, the things that you'll put in the oven and bake, they have what they call hollow heart. So if the potato grows too fast, it'll actually create a hole in the middle of your potato. And of course, restaurants and places like that, they don't want to serve a potato 
to the customer where there's a big hole in the middle of it. So, I mean, we look for all kinds of different things. There's probably at least a hundred different defects that we look for in a potato. I can imagine. So, I mean, do y'all have a lot of sweet potatoes there or is it just primarily your typical normal potato? Yeah, Idaho doesn't grow a lot of sweet potatoes. Uh, okay. In fact, I'm not sure of anybody who does grow uh, sweet potatoes around here. Um, we are the the largest um, grower of russet potatoes in in the country. We grow more than anybody else. I think after that, it would be, um, I think Washington is number two on the list as far as russet potatoes go. And varieties as well. We grow, um, my company specifically, we grow well, last year we grew 14,000 acres worth of uh, variety potatoes, which were yellows and reds, and then mini potatoes. We're getting heavily into the mini potato business, and so we actually uh, built the the first potato warehouse in probably 20 some odd years here in the state of Idaho just this past year, so we could actually um, manufacture mini potatoes and sort those out. So that's a big, big commodity. Okay. Okay. That's neat. Now, what are the warehouses like? I mean, do you just store massive amounts of potatoes in crates in a dry environment? What are the big warehouses like? Yeah. So, um, most of the potatoes are, are stored in a, in a cellar, just a regular potato cellar. We have a couple of different kinds. We'll have the, your normal potato cellar that you, you might think of where, I mean, basically the trucks just back up and they, um, they put the potatoes on the belt when they're harvesting them from the field and they throw them right into the cellar. We also built a uh, a couple of brand new cellars where we actually use kind of a European style of storing the potatoes. And so we actually put them in um, wooden crates and then we stack them on top of each other. Um, and so we can put about um, 3000 pounds worth of potatoes in each one of those boxes. And the idea is to keep the defects down to a minimum. So instead of having, you know, rot issues or something go throughout the whole pile of potatoes, you're going to limit it down to just a few thousand pounds instead of, you know, a hundred thousand pounds worth of potatoes. Um, so what they'll do when they heart, when they run them into the warehouse, the, the truck will go to the cellar, they'll load the truck up and they take it to the, to the warehouse and they run those potatoes into the warehouse. And the, the warehouse has a bunch of bins that they've got divided out for the different sizes uh, that they're going to be running that day. And then they've got um, usually two different kinds or two different parts to the warehouse. They have one part where they're running them into 50 pound cartons and those 50 pound cartons worth of potatoes generally go to your your food service industries like Cisco and Food Service of America and places like that, the restaurants, places like that. And then they have the consumer side of things where they're literally running them into five pound bags or they're running them into three pound bags or 10 pound bags. And those go to Walmart and Albertsons and Target and all your big stores like that throughout the country. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much how they, so they don't really store potatoes, um, at least fresh potatoes right out of the ground in the warehouse. Those are stored in the cellar because they're long-term and we can keep, we can keep potatoes for almost a year within the cellars uh, and they won't break down, which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, once they hit the warehouse, it's, it's it, the time the clock starts ticking and we got to get them in and get them out. So usually the potatoes only stay in the warehouse for maybe a week. And if they're there any longer than that, then I get to go reject them and make everybody mad at me. <laughs> I bet that can be a very interesting spot to be in. Uh, what happens when you reject them? <laughs> what, what do they do with them? Just kind of throw them out, use them as um, like compost or what happens there? Well, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, like I said, when they reject them, um, they get pissed off at me uh, because I've just generally, uh, uh, depending on the price of potatoes and right now, I don't know if you're, uh, if you've heard, but uh, uh, really tough time, especially here in Idaho, but really across the country, even North Dakota, which is a huge um, provider of potatoes, they had huge issues in, at harvest. And so we lost about 20% of our crop because oh, of wow. frost. Okay. And then, um, yeah. And then beyond that, there's just a shortage of potatoes throughout the country. And so the price of potatoes, it just went through the roof. 
And so because of that, um, when I go reject a pallet, I better know what I'm talking about and I better, um, you know, be able to explain to the shed foreman why I'm kicking their potatoes because it's usually a whole pallet of potatoes, which is about 2,000 pounds worth of potatoes. And that 2,000 pounds of potatoes right now is probably worth anywhere between four and 5,000 bucks a piece per pallet. Um, and so what they do is they'll, when I reject them, they usually take them over to um, uh, a place where they just throw them on the belt and they either depending on the problem, they'll either uh, just send them straight to the process truck that they've got waiting in their dock, or they, they put them back on the line and they try to resort them again and try to get a better, a better sort on the potatoes. So. Very interesting. Yeah. So you said the typical cost is about 2000 pounds equals like $5,000. Uh, right now. Yeah. Okay. I'd say in a normal year, you're probably looking at between two to $3,000 for a, for a pallet of potatoes. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now my dad's a, um, he's a history and like kind of geography teacher. And uh-huh. so I've always been interested with other countries and I know one country that is very popular when it comes to potatoes is, you know, mother Russia. I mean, that's all that grows there. So does uh-huh. that have to do kind of like Idaho has a very similar climate to where it's very cold. So are potatoes good for hardy climates like that? Yeah. Um, most of the potatoes, right. We don't grow a lot of, at least in Eastern Idaho, where I'm from, we're about, uh, anywhere from 4,000 to 5,000 feet above sea level. So we're pretty high up. And so because of that, we have a very short growing season and and yeah, there's not a lot of stuff that grow. Uh, The three biggest crops that we have over here on the Eastern side state would be potatoes and sugar beets and barley, uh, really the three biggest uh, crops we grow because they don't need a long growing season. We don't get our plants in the ground till probably mid to late April and we have to have them out generally by October 31st or we're, we're done for. Um, so it's a very short growing season and potatoes do really good. We have in the summer, um, Southern Idaho is kind of a desert region. It's, it's carved through by the snake river and, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, lava. Um, we had lava fields and lava rock fields, um, thousands of years ago that went through here. So we have a lot of really rich sandy soil because of the lava, uh, in the volcanic, you know, ash that's in the soil. And so the potatoes grow. And plus our, our, our days are really hot and our nights are really cold. We get up to 90, 95 degrees during the day and it'll drop down to 40 or 50 degrees in the summer really quick. And potatoes love that. They just absolutely love that hot and cold weather. So, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That's very, very neat. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah. I've always been interested because I know, I know the russet potato was developed in Idaho and it's one of the most popular potatoes out there. And correct me if I'm wrong, like anytime you order McDonald's French fries, that's a russet potato. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Generally speaking, it'll be some sort of variety of russet. There's a bunch of different kinds of russet potatoes. Um, the two biggest ones that you're going to usually find at the store or in McDonald's would be a Burbank, which is, that's our, that's our bread and butter as it were here in Idaho. We love Burbanks. But we also have a, a variety that they developed about 25, 30 years ago um, at the University of North Dakota in, uh, or North Dakota State, one of those two in North Dakota there called the Norcota is what they call it. And the nice part about those is that they're really, they're quick to get harvested. They grow really quick and they have a beautiful shape. Uh, Burbanks can be kind of bumpy and sometimes they're, they're bent kind of funky, but the Norcotas have a really great shape. So a lot of people like the Norcotas because of that. But a lot of people don't like the Norcotas because they don't think they taste very good. So yeah, those Burbanks are the ones that everybody wants and they can't wait till we get into Burbanks and start running those through our warehouses. But yeah, um, russets are definitely the, the, the cream of the crop as it were here in Idaho. And that's what we, we live and die on in the potato industry here in the state. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, that's really neat, man. Well, all right. So before we start talking about your podcast, um, I want to get your thoughts on this. So I like to ask everybody what their thoughts are in the farmer consumer relationships. You're supplying a super important commodity and just kind of make checking their quality and all that good stuff. So what are your thoughts right now? Like, what do you think the relationship is right now between the farmer and the consumer? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. I, I think, um, I think it's hard for me to see it here in, in the Western states, especially in places like Idaho. We're very rural and we are very farmer oriented. So most people around here, they have an understanding of where their, their food comes from. And they, we're still kind of, I guess you could say, in touch with the land. But I know there's a lot of people, like if you, especially if you head back east, where they, they have no clue, they have no understanding of how the farming industry works or the ranching industry or anything like that. And they just, I mean, I, I, I've talked to people who literally think that potatoes grow on trees. They have no idea that a, a potato grows in the ground and it's a tuber, not a, you know, some sort of seed that grows on a tree. So there is a tremendous disconnect, I think, between, um, you know, the consumer and the farmer and, and uh, you know, grocery stores have done that. And, and uh, even my company and the way we sell potatoes probably has done that kind of thing. And, and so, yeah, it can be, uh, it can definitely hurt the farmer and it, and it hurts the idea of, of where, of where our food comes from because we have such a disconnect and we think that there's all of these, I know there's a lot of people out there that think there's all these really bad chemicals or we've got GMO involved. And, and a lot of that is usually not true on a lot of circumstances, uh, but they don't know it because they think that, you know, you know, we're just Monsanto's running the show or something like that. That's, that's kind of sad. Yeah, no, totally. Everybody thinks they just think big ag and they think, Oh, Monsanto's running the show. Right. Like you said, so right. that's a very good point. Yeah. All right. So tell yeah. me about your night job, your really cool job, which is the podcast. <laughs> Everybody has a story. So how do you come up with the inspiration to start it and how's it going right now? So tell us about that. Well, yeah, I, um, I've been listening to podcasts for probably a good 10 years now. And one of my favorite podcasters is a guy by the name of Mark Marin, and he has a podcast called WTF. And so, uh, you know, he just basically, he sits around in his garage and he interviews you know, stars and comedians and things like that. Well, I don't know any movie stars or anything like that, but I always thought it doesn't matter whether you're famous or not. You've probably, and you most definitely do have an interesting story. Uh, and so my idea was just to start a podcast and, and highlight people's uh, stories and their life journeys and, and what kind of circumstances and things that they've went through that make them who they are today. And I've had just incredible success as far as, uh, um, you know, well, the listenership is, is, is mediocre. It's moderate, I guess you could say. I'm definitely not on the upper echelon of podcasts, but uh, um, it, it does well on a weekly basis. And, and I think people enjoy people's stories. I mean, I, I love the idea of being able to connect with people. And we live in this social media driven society where all we see is Facebook posts or Twitter posts or whatever. And we've lost the ability to connect with our, with our neighbor for lack of a better word. And, and I, hopefully my podcast kind of helps that out in, in, in some small way where we can realize that maybe that human being, you know, living across the street isn't necessarily so different than, than uh, you are, even though they might be a Trump supporter and you're not, or they might like football and you like golf or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, somewhere along the way, you might find something that might be interesting. And so, you know what, maybe we're all humans and we're all in this together. I like it. That's a really good point. I like that we're all kind of in this together. 
Um, and, and yeah, I know the struggle's real. It's always about building listenerships. And anytime you mention podcast, especially to people kind of outside the industry, they automatically think about Joe Rogan. They're like, oh, do you have the number of downloads that he has? And you're like, we're, yeah. we're, we're yeah. both probably like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> not even close. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, and he, he, he obviously got into it in a time where um, podcasts are really hot and he had a built-in fan base and that always helps. I mean, and when you're jumping into it and you don't have a fan base, you, you got to build it from scratch oh yeah no absolutely absolutely what what were some of your growing pains like whenever you started out well um just trying to figure out how to promote it well first of all trying to figure out how to get it out there i mean i think a lot of people get into podcasting and they go man i'm just going to report record a program i'm going to stick it up on the internet and everything's going to be groovy but you don't realize that to make a good podcast, you've got to have good equipment. Um, you've got to have good microphones and, and a good mixing board and a, and a decent computer and know how to edit it. Um, so you don't have things like, um, like I just did in the, <laughs> in the podcast. Yeah, exactly. um, and then, you know, you, you have to have those kind of things and you also have to have some sort of a provider that's going to host your podcast and it costs money and you don't think about those kind of things when you're first starting out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm sure for both of us, we want this to be like a, our main source of income because we really like it. It'd be cool to do a really yeah. good job, but you've definitely got to spend money to make money when it comes to yeah, podcasting and yeah. making content. That's right. That old adage definitely holds up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've had a lot of really cool people. You've, I've listened to some of your stories about some immigrants, musicians, and y'all mm -hmm. talk about some deep subjects. So what are the kind of the most, I don't know, what are the most memorable conversations and guests that you've had on your show? Well, uh, boy, I've had so many different ones um, from so many different backgrounds, but I would say some of the, the, my favorite ones, uh, there was a, a lady by the name of Jennifer Jaramillo that was on um, pretty far back in the very beginning. And she has a pretty fascinating story about, about her life and where she came from and, and, and growing up in California and, and just you know, being involved in drugs and alcohol. And, and then I had another person on uh, whose name was Cecilia, Cecilia Buell, and she suffered with, uh, with an eating disorder and her struggles to get through that. Uh, and then the, the one I just had on just this week that I posted this week, um, his name is Nathan Johnson. Uh, his, his, uh, his story is like mouth dropping because I just, it's totally crazy. I mean, the guy um, has done everything from, from uh, joining the circus to, um, to getting flogged uh, because he was involved in a kidnapping of a Thai princess. I mean, it was just a crazy story. So yeah, I've definitely interviewed uh, some very colorful characters and definitely every one of them is unique. Oh, it sounds like it. That's really neat. Uh, what kind of impact have you seen? I mean, have you had a lot of listeners that are like, oh, wow, I want to share my story or I can't believe that this person had this experience. What kind of impact have you seen that this podcast has had on people? You know, uh, personally, I've tried to get people to communicate, but it's incredibly, it seems like it's really hard uh, to get people to talk to me personally. And I found it a lot more difficult than I thought it would be for, to get people to talk about themselves. I mean, it seems to me we live in a, in a world where everybody wants to talk about themselves, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So it's been kind of hard and, and, and difficult to get um, people to come on and, and want to share their story. But um, I have heard from people who have shared their story, especially the ones who really decided to go a little deeper uh, in their life journey. And they've told me that they've had a lot of people reach out to them and tell them, thank you for sharing your story and that it meant a lot. And, and uh, so they've had a lot of feedback as far as their personal story is concerned. And that's great. That's, that's, uh, that's exciting to me. Even if I'm not hearing it, it's good that they're hearing it and that they feel like they, they uh, made a difference in somebody's life. 
Oh, absolutely. That's really neat. Have you found it that kind of people are more willing to share the positive experiences that they've had rather than the, the negative ones? But the negative ones are also like the most, I don't know, the character evolving ones that you have. So have you found that most people want to share only the, the happy moments in their lives? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, it's, it's hard for people to share where they failed or the problems they went through, you know, unless they've come to terms with them, they don't want to talk about it. And then a lot of people that have wanted to be on my podcast recently are our fellow podcasters. And that's great. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm more than willing to have them on, but a lot of them want to build themselves up and say, Hey, you know, come check out my podcast. So they don't really want to talk about anything deep necessarily. And, and so that does kind of get a little, um, little frustrating to, to not have to hear the real story, the true honest person, you know, like that Nathan Johnson, I, I was convinced I was hearing his honest story. I'm not sure how, I mean, it's so hard to believe. If you haven't listened to it, you got to listen to it because it's such a crazy story. But I was convinced I was hearing his honest story, you know? And so, yeah, it's difficult when, when people don't want to share their story. I wish people, more people would be willing to do so. But, um, you know, we learn from our mistakes more than we learn from our successes. And so if we can realize that uh, and we can share our mistakes with other people, I think it'd be beneficial. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you kind of strike me as one of those people that enjoys the deep conversations that I don't know that, that kind of help develop your character and you can pass on wisdom from one person to another. And my wife, I love those conversations and my wife always gets on to me because sometimes it's when, you know, after I have like one beer and I get very philosophical, she's like, <laughs> okay, all right. So those yeah, conversations yeah. are always really cool. So that's neat that you kind of are finding a really, a really cool niche and a really cool passion to follow those conversations. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and I love, you know, I always tell everybody, hey, this is your story. So you tell me what you want to tell me. Uh, I may dig a little bit, but if you don't want to talk about it, then just let me know and, and we'll move on to something else. And, and sometimes I'll get people who are just, they're just ready to talk and they'll talk about anything and, and everything. And then there's others that are like, yeah, let's move on to something else, you know, and that's cool. I'll take, I'll take whatever story they want to give me. Well, there you go. I mean, have you ever had like an inkling to be like a, a counselor or something? Like, is this kind of where this all kind of spawned from or what? <laughs> uh, there's been a thought in, my, in the back of my head, maybe on occasion. I've, I've actually been um, involved in the ministry for a while. And so I've had, you know, some counseling type of uh, 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 opportunities as far as that concerned. I've been involved in, in like uh, church youth groups and things like that. So yeah, there's been a lot of uh, counseling that have went on doing those kind of things. Well, there you go. That's really neat. Um, so what are your big plans for the podcast? I mean, obviously you want it to grow. You want it to take over the world, take over iTunes at least. So <laughs> yeah, what right. Are you, what are your like five to 10 year goals for everybody has a story podcast? You know, I'm just, I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I, I just want to continue to have guests and, and honestly, right now I'm, I'm going um, just maybe small steps. I, I hit that 50 mark and that was a great feeling to hit 50, um, episodes that I've put out there because I've had a tremendous, to be quite honest and actually to get a little deep, I've had a terrible, terrible time in my life of, of starting stuff and not finishing it, whether it be work or even friendships or things like that. Um, I, I just, I start it and then I get excited and then I just drop it. And so it was really exciting to me to know that I'd put enough time and energy into this podcast where I made it to 50 episodes. So my next step obviously would make it to hundred, love to hit hundred. And then after that, we'll see where it goes. Um, my, my listenership hasn't really grown. I don't really know how to make that grown. I would love to see, um, a, a lot more listenership. So maybe grow my listenership uh, to 25, 30% in the next five years. That'd be great. I don't think that's too unattainable. So yeah, you know, a few things like that. 
Those are great goals. I like that. Yeah. I mean, the more and more I learn, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm group. I'm in several Facebook groups for podcasting and they're yeah. like, Oh, well, make a Facebook group for your podcast or buy Facebook ad revenue. And what yeah. works for somebody doesn't exactly work for for the next person. And everybody right. has different tactics. So it's all about finding what kind of works best for your podcast and all that. Jazz. Right. So I wish you the best of luck. I mean, I really hope you can find a, a huge audience because it sounds like it's, it's a really cool podcast with a really cool message. Thank you. And you too. I, I think uh, your concept for your podcast is pretty cool as well. Thanks. Yeah, it's not bad. I, I mean, I really like agriculture stuff and it seemed that we found like, a, kind of like you, kind of a small audience and I want it to grow. A lot. We had like this weird um, spike a few months ago and I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And then mm-hmm. a few weeks after that, I kind of died down and I was like, oh, dang it. We almost had it. So it, <laughs> it's, it's all, it's all the good yeah. struggle. It's the good fight. So that's, re- that's really, really neat. Um, yeah. I mean, have you had any more interest in, have you had like just random people kind of contact you like, Hey, I heard about your podcast. Can I be on it? Yeah. Some of them, um, mostly from the podcast groups and things like that, that you were talking about. I mean, I've had some people that have hit me up like weeks after, uh, posting something on those. And, and, uh, so I've had a couple of musicians and things like, Hey, can I be on this podcast? And, uh, if you're still interested looking for guests, that'd be great. I've had a couple of friends that have shown some interest in wanting to be there uh, on the podcast. Most of my friends, I think, are just terrified. I don't know why. They're terrified of the microphones or, or what. I'm just not sure what it is. I'm not that scary, I promise. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. But um, yeah, I've had a few, a little bit of interest. Well, there you go. Maybe because your friends, maybe, maybe because you know the embarrassing stories about them and they don't want to bring <laughs> it up be. and it could be on the yeah. internet. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun. You know, I mean, you can tell the people that have obviously been on the microphone or they're used to telling their story. I mean, you just got to listen to some of my podcasts and you'll hear that because there's some, it's like pulling teeth trying to get them to, to say anything at all. And it's like, well, guess we're done here. Thanks for joining me. And then there's others. It's like, I just say a question or ask a question and just let them go and they go off for 20 minutes and it's all good. Well, yeah, there you go. I mean, it seems like everybody kind of has their own way of doing it and that uh, some people want to share their story and some people don't. Um, Yeah. Now, do you normally have uh, guests on your podcast? Yeah. Yeah. We normally do kind of like we're doing like normally, Uh I would say like the first five episodes, I knew pretty much everybody that we did. Oh, gotcha. But um, kind of av- as we've grown, I've had more and more people that I've never met just kind of, you know, virtually through email. So it's, it's gotten pretty cool. That's cool. Good deal. Yeah. How did you practice? Like, did you do like a, like a practice little interview before you started the podcast? Did you call a friend? Because that's what I did. I, I called my friend Ben and I was like, hey, man, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. Let me practice interviewing you. He was like, uh, okay, sure. And it worked out pretty well. Well, um, no, actually, you know. I used to be a DJ back in the day, uh, way oh, back in the day. Okay. So there was some of that that was kind of in there already. So as far as my microphone presence and stuff like that is concerned, it wasn't too big of a deal. It was a little hard to kind of get to interview people. And, and I actually had one interview that I did do, and it was the very first interview. And I think it went really well. I just never aired it because he called me up about two days later and requested me not to air it because there was, <laughs> there was a lot of crazy details that I guess nobody knows about that he shared with me. So unfortunately, that's sitting on my hard drive never to see the light of day. But um, yeah, so interview wise, I'm not sure. I haven't really done much experience. Maybe it shows on my podcast. I have no idea. But yeah, the microphone presence, I've, I've been on microphones quite a bit over the years. Well, there you go. I can tell you the first time I listened to your podcast, I was like, oh man, this guy knows what he's doing. Like he sounds like a DJ, sounds very professional. So good yeah. job. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're yeah, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. One of my first um, episodes 
or that I recorded, it was a great interview and for like an hour and a half, but then the guy never got back with me. And so I haven't aired it yet. So kind of the same boat as. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, I was gonna say, is there anything more you wanted to know about the potato industry? I I mean, there's a little bit more I maybe can know. I don't know if you have any more questions or not. Yeah. So, um, so you're talking a little bit more about grades. Like the number one grade is like your, your ideal potatoes, like your mm-hmm. bag potatoes. What yeah. are the number two grade potatoes like? And what are the, the what'd you say the, what was the other, the third grade? Process, process, process. grade. So yeah. what are some example items of those lower two class items? Well, yeah, again, your number one is going to be the cream of crop. It's going to be pretty stuff, um, you know, very few blemishes, those kind of things. Your number two potatoes are going to have a little bit more bruising on them. You have a basically, USDA kind of gives you a chart to go with. And so your, your number ones, you basically have like a 5% grade. So um, if you've got a bruise on that potato, if it pairs away in 5%, it's still a number one. It's still in grade, according to the USDA. Uh, and USDA gives you a grade for the number two. It's generally about twice as much. Like you, you pair away. So each potato gets a 10% pair away instead of a 5% pair away. Uh, but, you only, but you get like 1% like total grade. So instead of a 5% total grade on, on a 20-pound sample, the USDA will give you a 6% total grade on a number two sample. And those number two potatoes, they'll generally go to like wholesale um, grocery stores or uh, grocery outlets or BJ's wholesales or some of these other bigger chains that are maybe a cheaper discount type of a grocery store. So they, they don't have a high, as higher quality, but you get, you know, your potatoes are a lot cheaper than buying a, a five pound bag of green giant potatoes. And then the process grade, that's the stuff you're going to buy at like uh, McDonald's or you're going to get in your box of mashed potatoes at the grocery store. Um, because that's what they do. They, they go to a processor and those processors turn them into mashed potato flakes. They turn them into scalloped potatoes. They turn them into French fries. And so there's a couple of factories around here. If you go to them, you're like, oh, they're making the bacon mashed potatoes today because you can smell it coming out of the factory. Um, there's a big warehouse by the one I work at and they're the ones that do a lot of the McDonald's French fries and you can smell it. It just smells like McDonald's all day long and it kind of makes you hungry when you're out working in the field digging on a hot day and all of a sudden you start smelling these french fries come through so yeah so there's there's um most of the potatoes i would say probably if you had a wholesaler of potatoes probably 90 percent of those potatoes even if they're not very good at all and they're they're rotten they're going to get used somehow um, most of those and, and even if they don't go to a processor they'll go to we call it going to the cows we send them to the cows so the farmers will buy the potatoes and they literally use them as feed for their for their cattle uh, and then if if they're too bad for that or if we we have so many potatoes that no farmer wants to buy anymore because they're full. We basically call it sending them to the rocks. And so we literally go out in the desert and we just dump them in the rocks and they go to waste. Uh, that doesn't happen a lot, thankfully. Um, but it does happen a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty neat. The, and I'm learning more and more that regardless of the product, like I, I've listened to some, um, some podcasts about some distilleries where the grain, they'll send that to farmers for cows to eat. So it sounds like, and it's happening more and more to where any waste or any um, byproducts is going straight to the animals to eat for feed because it's really high calorie and high and very healthy for them. So that's really neat. Um, yeah. Now, yeah, and I can imagine you're talking about that McDonald's warehouse um, with all the fries. <laughs> I can imagine. Do you ever get yeah. sick of French fries or potatoes things because you work in the industry? I mean, is it something that you're just like kind of, eh, no, I still love it? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we like potatoes. I'm an Idahoan. I mean, if I wasn't, if I didn't like potatoes, I, I wouldn't be able to call myself an Idahoan. So, yeah, I mean, it's part of the culture here. I mean, it's really sad how much it is part of the culture. In fact, there's a town south of here um, by the name of Shelly, Idaho, and my wife is actually from there. Their high school mascot is the Russets. So, she was, she's in her, yeah, so she's a Russet. Um, and then they have, once a year, they have what they call Shelly Spud Days. And it is a huge event. It brings in thousands and thousands of people every year. And they have a big carnival. They have a parade. And the teenage girl, they want to be Miss Russet. They get crowned Miss Russet. It's a big pageant. And they have like a mashed potato wrestling contest. And they serve baked potatoes. I mean, it's a big deal. So, yeah, potatoes are just so much part of the culture around here. It's crazy. In fact, Boise, Idaho, they don't drop an apple on New Year's Eve, they drop a potato to uh, signify the coming of the new year. So yeah, potatoes are just crazy big around here. <laughs> wow. I love the potato on, on New Year's Eve. That's yeah. neat. And I, yeah. I would say that that's a little crazy, all the potato stuff, but around here, there's a city, I'm from Pan- Panama City, Florida, and about uh-huh. 50 miles away is Dothan, Alabama. And within like a 90 mile radius of Dothan, I think 90% of the country's peanuts are grown and so they have a big peanut uh-huh. festival kind of like how you're saying where they're gonna yeah, be yeah. A peanut queen so it's like the exact same thing but with peanuts down here so i yeah. totally get it well yeah hey and speaking in florida i am probably going to be heading that way in a couple of months to go look at some potatoes we grow potatoes down there as well shoot where at we're at in florida well, we used to grow them around uh, the Okeechobee area. I don't know if you know where that's at or not. Absolutely, so down there. yep. Okay. Yeah, and I think now we've got some fields that are actually going to be around the Jacksonville area, but I'm not quite sure. So up in the Panhandle somewhere. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm in the Panhandle, but I have friends in Jacksonville and also in oh, Okeechobee. Cool. Yeah, the, the, I think it's one of the biggest lakes in the country, Lake Okeechobee. They have a lot yeah. of stuff down there, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy area, I'll tell you. I, I'd never been to Florida before until I went to, to go look at potatoes, and that's a weird state, my friend. I'm just saying. <laughs> Dude, it is weird. I know, do you ever get scared of the Florida man? Well, you know, before, the last time I went, the Florida man thing wasn't that big of a deal, but I had never been to a place that was, first of all, so flat in my life. I could not believe how flat that, at least that section of Florida was. And then not only that, but the animals, I mean, it's just weird to go. My hotel was right next to a farm field and there's all these cows sitting under palm trees. I'm like, I'm from Idaho, man. You don't see cows sitting under palm trees in Idaho. So that was just fried my brain. It was just weird. So (laughs) I bet next time if you're in Okeechobee, I think it's only like an hour or two drive. Try going to Miami or Fort Lauderdale. You will see iguanas and parrots just walking around and flying around like normal. That that would just be so weird. Oh, yeah. My uncle lives down there and he took me down to Canal Street. (laughs) And within a mile, we must have passed like a hundred Iguanas really? just walking around. They say that, that when it free- yeah, they say when it freezes in Florida, which is mm-hmm. you know very rare, especially in Miami, people yeah. go outside and they film the iguanas that are frozen falling from the palm trees, and they're like, oh, it's like a yearly thing, and it kind of kills off half the that population. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'd love, no. I'd, well, that'd be weird. Now, yeah, the weird. Farm, <laughs> it is. The, the farmer took me out to the fields. Like, yeah, let's go check the farm out. So, so we go out into the farm, and you know, around here, we you got a two hundred acre farm. It's got these big old you know aisles where they plant all the the potatoes, and it's just a nice dirt farm. Out there, you've got. You, you can plant the, the potatoes in one section, but you can't plant it here because it's a little swampy. You can't plant it over there because it's a little swampy. And he's like, yeah, let's drive around. Maybe we'll see some alligators. So you drive out in this potato field and there's alligators walking around and there's a tortoise over here. And I was like, okay, this is weird. I mean, just 
why is there an alligator walking around in my potato field? This is strange. It was a weird place. And then in the potato warehouse itself, there was this gigantic bug that was probably seven or eight inches big. And it was walking up to where these ladies were um, sorting potatoes. And next thing I know, this forklift backs over it and, and squishes it. But I mean, there's frogs all over. <laughs> I pop open a potato box to inspect them. And there's this frog that jumps out at me. And I'm just, this is stuff you don't get in Idaho. Okay. This is weird stuff to me. <laughs> I can so, imagine. Yeah. The insects, the bugs, the, yeah. the frogs. I hate spiders. And there are a ton of spiders. Yeah. There's a ton yeah. of frogs, everything. It's like Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have inspectors that come through, like you have to do inspections on the potato warehouses to make sure they're meeting, you know, certain uh, uh, food inspection quality. And the potato warehouse I was working at there in Florida, you know, the things you can't do is you can't leave doors open because that's a food safety violation. You can't have insects or bugs or animals or anything in your warehouse because that's a food safety violation. Technically, those warehouses would get shut down if, if, uh, if an inspector came by and saw any of that. But when you're working in a place like Florida, you can't shut the doors because this warehouse has no AC and it was 80 degrees with, you know, 80% humidity. Everybody would die if they would have closed those doors. So we have to have them open. And what do you do with the bugs? You just, you can't get rid of them all. So you just deal with them. And it, so, I mean, it was technically a food safety hazard, but what do you do? You just, you just have to keep them. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, the, the bugs and the humidity are what make Florida, Florida. And the humidity yeah. is horrible. Yeah. I, yeah, that's interesting. And we have nothing. We have no humidity in Idaho. I mean, it's very, very little humidity. And so it's, I die when I get over there. I'm, a, I'm kind of a bigger guy. So I'm just like, dear God, shoot me now. So <laughs> It's too, yeah. And you guys actually have four seasons, which I'm very yes. jealous. Even yeah. here in North Florida, we only have like two. It's winter yeah. for like, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks. And then the rest, it's just summer. And when you say winter, is there actually snow on the ground or? Oh, no, no. I mean, but like a minimum temperature of like 40 degrees and that's it. Really? Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, we just had a blizzard for the past two days. We got about 12 inches on the ground and the roads have been closed and the schools have been closed. So it's been fun over here. Oh, wow. Jealous, jealous. Yeah, I I think (laughs) the only time it snowed down here, I think was in like the early 90s and I was like one. So I kind of missed it. So I have yet to see snow in North Florida and I doubt I ever will. Well, I don't know, you know, with this climate change that they talk about, who knows? You never know. You never know. I mean, it might be a hundred degrees or it might start snowing. You never know. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, Nate, this has been so, so cool, man, about learning about the potato industry and kind of what you do and also about your podcast. Everybody has a story. So how often do you release the podcast and where can people go to listen to your podcast? Well, I release, uh, I try to release a podcast every Monday morning and you can find it. I have a, a website. Everybody has, uh, everybody has a story podcast.com and you can check that out there and you can also subscribe to uh, the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. You can do that directly from that website as well and find it that way. Well, perfect. Well, I am subscribed on iTunes. Love listening to it. A lot of really cool interviews you do. Thanks. Um, well, Nate, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you being on. Um, this is hey, really thanks cool. for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was really cool learning about your podcast and all the cool potato facts. So mm-hmm. um, we will stay in touch, man. Thanks for being on. We wish you the best of luck. I hope your podcast continues to grow for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I hope your audience kind of starts to build traction and grows bigger and bigger every day. Thanks so much. I wish you the best as well. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. You bet.